sounds like you've been a very good little girl, Tina. Hope see you again next year and keep a look under that tree for that Hot Wheels kit. Ho, ho, ho. Next, please. Hi, Santa. It's me, Mac. Oh, yes, of course, Mac. Yes, that was what I was going to guess. What could I get you this year? Oh, um, well, shouldn't I, should, should I get up on the lap or? I'll, I'll get up on the lap. You're a, you're a little bigger than I'd usually accept, but, but go oh. ahead. Come on. Huh? Oh. Oh, my, oh, my. Oh, wow. You have soft thighs. That's the extra padding called Christmas love. Now, what would you like this year for Christmas, little boy? All right. Well, first off, big fan. Long-time letter writer, first-time lap sitter. Uh-huh. Um, so my daughter needs a new mom. Oh, oh, wow. You know, I thought maybe when you chose the lap, it would be a little bit lighter. Um, I'm, Santa gives more physical gifts and not so much emotional fulfillment. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, well, I saw the Santa Claus 2, the Mrs. Claus, and um, it just kind of made it look easy for you in the lady department. And the one gift, the one gift my daughter really wants is someone to make her daddy happy. Very happy. Are you... My... Are you hitting on me? Ho, 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 this is making Santa very uncomfortable. Uh, uh okay, uh, actually, maybe, maybe we scratch that. Um, can you do anything about my curmudgeonly boss who has no Christmas spirit? The one solution for bosses I always tell the kids is Christmas spirits. Why don't you offer him a big thing of whiskey? Ho, 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 always calms the missus down after my long work nights. Yeah, you have, you have elves that work for you. How do you... Are they unionized? Do you pay them? How does that work? How do you keep the elves happy? I never let the elves unionize. The presents would not be done in time. Okay, well, it doesn't sound like you're going to be much help there. Um, what about a snow day? A, a snow day so I can get a day off of work, some time with my daughter, a white, a white Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas, Santa. I can offer you plenty of cut snowflakes out of crepe paper. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, what about the, the, the DD to a cookie factory? I could, um, no. You understand, it's physical gifts to my son. I, a trip I can, to the North Pole to meet Mrs. Claus? She actually doesn't really appreciate visitors, especially during the busy months. Ho, ho, ho. She's an isolated woman. What about a Power Rangers action figure? Oh, for phew. That comes to life and teaches me a Christmas lesson. Oh, see, oh, you, I almost was able to offer you something there, but I think we're going to have to keep moving down your list. Oh, Santa never gives up on a good little boy, though. Actually, let me check the list really quick. Uh, okay, no, hold on. Let's not go to the list. Santa, let's not go to the list. Um, What about a PS5? Oh, um, so you were talking a little bit about maybe... Finding a wife. I'm, I think I'm coming around on that idea. Something doable. Let's keep talking. Ho, ho, ho. Another satisfied boy here in the Christmas days. And now, back to my favorite podcast, The Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook. Ho, 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 ho. Welcome back to The Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook, a journey into love in literature. I am Mac W. Mani, broadcasting to you live from Portland, Oregon. And I am your co-host, Lucky. Uh, thank you for joining us here again. This is the show where we read the wackiest romance novels we can find, from the mainstream to the extremely niche. We are here with our second reading of The, uh... <laughs> the Cowboy from Christmas Past by Tiny Leonard. No, wait, Tina Leonard. And we're boots deep in it. You're right, Lucky. We are boots deep in this reading, and um, 
My one critique I would say about this one is it is basically the exact same as the first third of the book. We reiterate a lot of the same pages. Uh, yeah, you're going to get into it a little bit uh, later on, but uh, it kind of feels like Tina Leonard maybe slipped on a banana peel and hit her head and had amnesia and forgot that she had written the first half of the book and then wrote the exact same thing for the second part of the book. But then the deadline was up and her boss was demanding the book be on her desk for the monthly. So she just had to put in whatever she finished. And it is mostly the same book. Yeah, this next this section of reading had more inexplicable time travel, more explicable Christmas and uh, much more gunplay, which I guess does have some excitement. And I will say this is the first time that we're going to see a little bit of romance. You know, we our characters do get together and. You know, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I have to say I have been completely ruined by Wittershins and Bear just based off of what I expect from romance from books. Well, this is a real romance, and you can tell that it is because it takes the book 66% of its pages to get to any type of affection. Then it immediately resets the affection, uh, and we start at ground zero again. Ho, 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 very funny, boys. And now on to the recap. Thank you, Santa. Um, I forgot that you can tune in and actually say things during our recording. Here is the recap of the second reading of The Cowboy from Christmas Past. Our reading begins with a soft conversation in a king-sized bed at the Hilton. Our gunslinger Dillinger Kent and mysterious heiress Auburn McGinnis whisper to each other as Time Baby snoozes the night away. Auburn confides that Christmas is her personal deadline to decide if she will return to her family and the perfume world or if she will somehow find something or someone to satisfy about her the aching Christmas passions. deadline. <laughs> That's so stupid. I know there's this whole part where she just sits down and says, I am waiting till Christmas to decide if I'm going to go back to my family. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> not even New Year's. Like, you're not going to want to just choose anything on Christmas. You're going to want to lay in bed, eat waffles and have a, a coffee spiked with rum. Everybody knows the week after Christmas is phoning in at work week. Like, I don't understand why she's not giving herself that one more week. Whatever, though. I'm not I'm not Tina Leonard. Thank God. We smash cut to Bradley Jackson, the blandest man west of the Mississippi and Auburn's ex-fiance. While hunting Auburn down, he muses on killing her and her secret lover, though admits multiple times the worst he'll do is destroy the McGinnis perfume empire. Yeah, let's unpack Bradley for just a quick second here, because he is a psychopath, and Auburn, I believe, has a thing for psychopaths. Uh, you mentioned that he, like, muses about killing them, and that's a really good way of putting it, because uh, he really thinks about it hard for um, a, a few times. There's a chapter from Bradley's perspective, and uh, there here are these quotes, which are all within two or three pages of each other. What if she planned all this? The job at Six Flags, which horrified him, and the road tripping with another man? Bradley would kill him, plain and simple. Then, like a paragraph later, which also meant that she was probably sleeping with the stranger, something she'd never done with Bradley. He would kill her because she'd made him wait while he was playing the diligent, if not entirely faithful, suitor. So he was cheating on her. Then, again, one page later, maybe he would hire some thugs and dispose of them neatly. Then... Bradley would kill her if he caught her with another man, especially a man with a baby. These were just fantasies, though. He knew he'd never really harm her or anyone else. Like, way to take the wind out of my sails. We were gearing up for this guy to be coming in like hot and heavy and seeing Dillinger maybe get into a cool gunfight with him. But then completely backs off the gas like, oh, these are just thoughts. I'd never actually do it. I mean, sure, I cheated, but... Yes, I keep a loaded gun in my car at all times, and I have an itchy trigger finger, and I hate these people enough for them to die. 
but eh, it's just a fantasy. Uh, you know, you know, uh, it's a fantasy. I have a perfume company to run. The first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning is strangling my ex-wife. Uh, and the last thing I think of before I go to sleep is uh, shooting a man with the baby. But uh, I don't want to hurt anyone. <laughs> you brought up three points in those little readings I want to bring up. A, this play was at Six Flags. I don't like <laughs> Dillinger dropped into a play at Six Flags, which I just do not understand. B, she did not sleep with Bradley. A key point of information that I'm sure is going to come up later because of Dillinger's kind of weird misogyny yeah. tact. And then three... That Bradley is a psycho. Well, yeah, I mean, the third point is Bradley's a psycho. But I mean, all in all, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a classic Tina Leonard way for us to get all of the information in just a couple of chapters where it doesn't make sense. We're getting it all shoved down our throats. Yeah, I don't remember the first uh, part where uh, it shows her job, but I don't think it was established that she was at Six Flags, just that it was a stage show somewhere. One hundred percent. It was never brought up because we would have definitely talked about that at length the first time. Does Six Flags have cowboy Western stage shows? The only like theatrical inclusion in a theme park that I am aware of is the Abraham Lincoln play at Disneyland. And that's a robot, folks. That's not even anything real. That new animatronic cowboy you got is amazing. The the baby. He walked right off the stage and just left. He got in a car and drove away. That was a robot? That's incredible. <laughs> Spectacular feats of invention. Also, why does Six Flags horrify Bradley? It, you know, it, it, what if she planned all this? He thought the job at Six Flags, which horrified him. Is he like scared of roller coasters or just like the common folk? I assume he was putting down that glorious bald man with the glasses who dances all fantastic. Terrifying. That's probably why he hates it. I mean, like men shouldn't be dancing on active roller coasters. It's absolute asinine. Asininity. The tantalizing information about Bradley aside, we return to the Hilton bed as the discussion turns towards solving the mystery of time travel. A few theories are tossed around until Auburn offers to kiss Dillinger, hoping that, like in all fantasy, is the secret to magic. As they kiss passionately, the heat of the moment is replaced by whipping winds and freezing temperatures cascading around Auburn. Stunned, she awakes in bed with a different Dillinger, in a different time. The conversation in the bed where we're switching from, here's what it could be, here's the things we've noticed, the earring, the baby, who knows what time travel is, to the insane jump that, like, what if maybe we just made out a little bit? That's certainly going to do it. There's no connecting line there. They just want to make out. It feels like um, teen, like early teenagers who both, like, want to kiss each other but can't come out and say <laughs> it. So it's like, well, what if we practice kissing on each other? <laughs> Maybe it would help if I if I kissed you and held your hand and said sweet things to you. I mean, somehow it works. And I'm just assuming it's Time Baby. Time Baby woke up and saw them kissing and loved it and activated his powers. I'm sorry, her powers. Yeah, her powers, please. Apologies. Apologies all around. Uh, it, it, I find it interesting that they completely flip of the script on us here because uh, almost the whole first reading was old school cowboy in the present. And we get like a little bit of that, like, oh, you know, oh, it's an iPhone, uh, a little fish out of water. And then immediately we jump to modern girl in the past, which I find just like a little bit more tolerable as a story mm. because it's not that like star man situation. Um, she's like, I would say, better at being in the past than he was at being in the present. I agree. And we'll, we'll dive into that in depth for sure. But I think, you know, for me, it's more interesting to read about the past and the struggles and difficulties there than it is trying to watch somebody figure out an iPhone. I would just take the iPhone and do what they want. You know, it's putting myself in a situation where you'd have to pioneer much more interesting. And I think Tina actually writes it a little bit better. 
Auburn finds herself in Dillinger's 1892 ranch home with Time Baby in tow. However, Dillinger has seemingly been struck with amnesia and remembers neither Auburn nor the future. That's dumb. It's dumb. Another character jump sends us to back to Bradley. Twist. <laughs> no, keep going. I just, it's like, just hearing it, like, I read it all and I was like, mm-hmm, and I nodded along. But hearing it back, I'm just like, just like oh my God. Christ, this book. Another character jump sends us back to Bradley, who has tracked the trio to the Hilton. He cons his way in, only to discover the place is empty, save some clothing and Auburn's purse. Oh, and one single golden earring. He decides to wait in the room for Auburn and her man candy to return. I don't know why, uh, but I thought you were going to say he decides. To, I read the book, but I thought you were going to say he decides to put the earring on and like just like, oh, and some of her other uh, outfits. If you put the outfits on, on the earring, then he'd be whisked to the past. And there's a book I'm wanting to read. I mean, like we're putting a lot of modern spins on it. We've got a crossdresser who's chasing his ex-fiance who also is cheating on her. Like that's an interesting character I want to know more about. He finds himself at Dillinger's ranch and Dillinger is like looking between like Auburn and the like female clad Bradley and is like, oh, looks like we got a love triangle on our hands. Uh, looks like I have a real Sophie's choice to make here. <laughs> he, his eyes dart back and forth and he says, how about a menage à toi? <laughs> My boudoir is always open. <laughs> Uh, the amnesia thing is just so fucking stupid. I hate that. Uh, we talked earlier about how this is sort of a repeat of the first few chapters. The frustrating thing about the first six chapters of the book is that Auburn's like, you want to steal my baby. You're a baby crazy. I won't let you take my baby. And we finally get over that. We finally get over that hump. And then immediately she goes back in time. He has timenesia for some reason. Nice. And it's the exact same thing all over again. He's like, you can sleep in the rocking chair. Just don't look at my baby. Well, and even the, you know, even the regression back to this complete misogynistic Dillinger, which is again out of left field because he <sighs> was in a different place as the same person. The concept that he came to terms with everything, that we were going to move the story forward like they're being chased. <laughs> yeah. He can travel in time, no problem. And then Timnesia takes that all away to be literally the exact same beginning of the book where somebody just drops somewhere. They don't know who they are. They're begrudgingly accepting the new partnership. Like, come on. Plus, how sweet would it have been for them to have, like, this time as a couple? Like, why do we need to have the conflict again? Jumping back to the past, Auburn struggles with the reality of 1890s bathroom situation and tries to <laughs> prove, via the existence of Pampers, that Dillinger has been to the future. Showing his true colors, Dillinger expresses his disinterest in an opinionated, outspoken woman, though he does offer to let Auburn stay until the weather clears up. Oh, do you think maybe one of the reasons he's so hostile towards her isn't his sexism, but because she reminds him too much of his wife, who is maybe more of a progressive individual? Maybe. I feel like we've seen multiple times where Dillinger talks about Auburn not being like his wife. Like, the, <sighs> there's a stark difference between the two, and he's like, I don't understand women like this. But he's intrigued. I'm just clinging on to whatever I can here. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like a, like a shipwrecked sailor clinging on to his dead crewmates bloated corpses i didn't mean to be the shark that ate that bloated crewmate to leave you stranded out in the water i'm so sorry my man he started picking us off one by one <laughs> you guys read a bad book yum 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 <laughs> the snowstorm traps auburn and dillinger at the ranch however that's not the only reason for the chilliness in this cabin while auburn mourns the loss of modern day amenities and dillinger misses a classic 1890s woman slowly the two figure out a balance Dillinger leaves for the day to take care of things around the ranch, 
giving Auburn time to root around his home and come up with more ridiculous theories, including ghosts, to explain her predicament. Dillinger returns with a wild turkey and hopes this gift will comfort Auburn, only to exacerbate her more. Somehow, immediately following the turkey kerfuffle, she decides kissing Dillinger again is the only way to get back to the future. <laughs> but what if we kissed again? Wait, that turkey was weird, but what if we kissed? Yeah, she thinks everything in the past is a little weird and uh, is constantly comparing it to other amenities, which I found very funny. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's also a good point for product placement, which is a big part of the book. She's constantly comparing not only the past to the present, but her past amenities to brand names. So it's like uh, about Dillinger's Ranch. She's like, it's no Pilton penthouse, but it is cozy. The gift was no rose top box of Godiva chocolates, but it was thoughtful nonetheless. And my personal favorite, she drinks a homebrewed ale made in the Old West. And she says about it, it was no Corona with lime, but it did the trick. <laughs> Good taste there, Auburn. Yeah. She, uh, one of the plot points later is that her boyfriend is able to find her because of her high taste. She recognizes her pink convertible in front of a four star Hilton. And she has this you know, Louis Vuitton handbag. But at the same time, she drinks Corona and lime, eats at McDonald's and works at Six Flags. WTF, Auburn. Yeah, Auburn, get your shit together. Stay on track. We just need, I need a consistency in one of the characters in this book, which I guess would be Bradley. At least he's true to himself. Well, no, actually, he doesn't know if he wants to murder, uh, murder, marry, or fuck Auburn. If anything, Probably he's all the three. most conflicted. He's like, yeah, he's, he's got the good loaded. He's like, I'll know when I get there. <laughs> he's playing Shag Mary, push off a cliff, and all the answers are Auburn McGinnis. That was my favorite game we took from Austin Powers was Shag Mary, push off a cliff. Damn, that movie gave us so much. Uh, I do want to have, I want to put the cap on the product placement counts because I got curious and I went into the little search function on my Kindle and you can like look for instances of words. And so I searched the whole document. So there might be some minor spoilers here, but uh, the product placement is so egregious in this book. There are six mentions of six flags, nice. five mentions of Hilton hotels and five mentions of Louis Vuitton, which are the, which are the high rankers. Then below that, you've got three instances each of iPhone, Uggs, and McDonald's. Godiva <laughs> nice. gets two references. And then there's one reference each to Corona, Walmart, Disney World, Coca-Cola, and Lean Cuisine. Oh, Lean Cuisine gets a shout out. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's literally like she's talking about the ranch food and how it's like better than McDonald's or a Lean Cuisine. I would hope so. I mean, damn, that's a pretty low bar. McDonald's or a lean cuisine for a delicious meal? That sucks. <laughs> it, it was no cheddar and ham hot pocket, but it uh, would get the job done. It wasn't my local 7-Eleven bean burrito, but it was tasty nonetheless. <laughs> it was no uh, Taco Bell extra sloppy chalupa, but it would give her <laughs> diarrhea nonetheless. <laughs> you know, on the ranch, they don't have anything to clean the blood out of that underwear. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Scary Christmas. <laughs> Spooky Christmas, everyone. So I don't know if Harlequin has some kind of deal where, you know, every time she mentions one of the, she has a list maybe from Harlequin and uh, Tina just picks some out of a hat and she gets like a hundred grand for every mention. <laughs> hey, Tina, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, honey, it's another lean cuisine night. <laughs> it's the 90 cal shrimp scampi, the one you love, darling. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you'd go out and hunt us up a wild turkey, maybe we could have something different. Oh, she's projecting is what you're saying. She's tired of having to feed her <laughs> husband lean cuisines. 
We're going to take a little break here from the review, folks, to talk about one of our sponsors, um, somebody who's generously supported us and uh, the cause that we're doing here. Our sponsor this week is the SMDSC, or Suburban Mothers for the Desexification of Santa Claus. Mac, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about their mission and what they do? Of course. Uh, the SMDSC is a coalition of concerned parents uh, dedicated to ending the annual sexualization of Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, and or Father Christmas. They raise awareness to the dangers of falling in love with men claiming to be Santa, huh. as well as pushing for the radio ban of the Santa smut genre, uh, including such songs as Santa Baby, Santa mm-hmm. Buddy, Santa Daddy, yes. Backdoor Santa, Santa's Lay, oh, Santa Claus Wants Some Lovin', I Saw Mommy Banging Santa Claus, and Choke Me Harder, Mr. Nicholas. Uh, oh, God. The list they sent us goes on for a couple of pages like that. Um, you're a hard one, Mr. Grinch. It's not about Santa. Uh, I, you know what, though? Uh, I don't think I can, Lucky, in good content, finish this ad spot. Mac, no, you you already spent the money. You, you got it. Uh, it's, it's, it's just that these songs are classics, and it's not right to censor or to change them in any way. Didn't you say one of the songs was called Choke Me Harder, Mr. Nick? I don't think these are all classics. I'm tearing up the check. I am. We spent the money. What do you think we got this well, cool merch? Okay, but because, you know, uh, uh, far be it from me to use this podcast as a soapbox, because it's not a political show, as we've said many, many times. Right, right, of uh, course. But, you know, if Michael Buble wants to be buddies with Santa, he should be able to do that. And if he wants to be more than friends with Santa, uh, then, they're, then they're both adults. And I respect that. I'm not disagreeing with you. Like, I want Michael Buble to open his heart to anybody he wants to love and make love with. But I'm saying, like, we're being paid for this. We got to we got to. I, I hear our- you. I, hear, I do. I hear you. But um, Santa is a mature sexual creature. OK, well, yeah. So keep your blood money. I'll be celebrating Christmas in the tender arms of an immortal pansexual elf named Santa. So I guess um, from us here at GRBN, embrace sexual Santa Claus. And now back to the show. Santa, we asked you to wait until they come out to listen to him like everybody else. But all right. Thank you, Santa. You're welcome. God damn it. For the second time in this book, Dillinger comes to terms with the possibility of time travel. Over the next three days of the snowstorm, Auburn and Dillinger spend their time caring for Time Baby and researching how to get Auburn back to the future. On the day of their early Christmas celebration featuring a wild turkey roast, Dillinger suggests they should experiment their magical kissing theory after dinner. (laughs) Mixed emotions swirl around Aubrey, possibly leaving Dillinger, as we cut to eyes watching the ranch from the forest. Pierre is back and planning to confront the new woman in Dillinger's life. If she turns out to be a mail-order bride, Pierre is ready to take the step Bradley is too cowardly to do. (laughs) Dillinger will become a widower yet again. I like how he draws that line in the sand where it's like, if he's convinced a woman to love him, I'll kill him. But if it's a male order bride, I'll kill her. What? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's nice to see a psychopath who has a very clear, like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to stick to it. You know, he has a path. He's yeah. following. He's not waffling about the murder uh, like Bradley, you know, who's sort of tantalizing himself with thoughts of murder, but then just sort of cooling off. Pierre is like, I'm going to kill somebody. I don't know who. So now Dillinger is the one promoting an experimental kiss. Like, I don't understand why they just can't start kissing at this point. They get it. They're into it. He is like Katy Perry in this book, hot and cold. I mean, he kissed a girl and he liked it, but he doesn't know <laughs> if it was just the taste of her cherry chapstick. You know, I think there's a lot. Her he needs Burt's to- Beeswax brand chapstick. <laughs> 
Maybe Pierre is just a jilted lover, and that's sort of like why they're both a little hesitant to fall in love again or allow the other to fall in love again. I hope Pierre's a jilted lover, not in the sense that he loved his sister. Which no, no, gay, kind of gay a... lovers, gay lovers, oh, God. gay cowboy oh. lovers. As the Christmas feast begins, Dillinger puts on his best courtly attitude to bring the magic of his fairy tale stories to life. He charms Auburn with blackberry wine and a delicious turkey, then offers his deceased wife's clothes to Auburn, really setting the mood. <laughs> they head to Dillinger's deck to gaze up at the stars, basking in each other's company. As they are about to kiss, a shot rings out across the forest. Dillinger rushes off to find the ne'er-do-well as Auburn heads inside to protect Time Baby. Shortly after returning to the cabin, Dillinger tells Auburn the shooter is his ex-wife's brother, come to kill Auburn herself. Yeah, he the way he knows that is not because he saw Pierre. It's because he saw his footprints, knows what size shoe he wears, and smelled his tobacco brand in the wood. <laughs> this is some Wolverine stuff right here. He's like licking the snow and being like, hmm, that's his piss. <laughs> Warm Pierre piss. I, oh, I know it anywhere. The Mountain Dew Code Red. I know it was him. It's the only thing these trappers drink on long nights in the winter forest. Auburn faints into Dillinger's arms, only to be awoken in Dillinger's bed. A promiscuous bum cuddle and short conversation on modern contraceptives convinces Dillinger to show Auburn the stars. Yeah, I don't have the quote pulled up in front of me, but this is like an this is like an actual fade to black sensual sex scene. This is like the first time we've actually gotten what I would consider to be like a normal not over the top, not smutty sex. They like I think it's literally described as they fell into each other. Wow. That's I wish it was a little bit more on purpose than that, but it, it's it's really yeah. like I was mentioning at the very beginning, it's very interesting the difference and in kind of like how my mind has been twisted since this is a journey into Leverant literature. We're exploring this genre together and with our audience. Bear and Wittershins 100% made me expect books to be like very very graphic and sexual. I did not realize that this was going to be kind of like a fade to black and then very subtle references moving forward. It's not obvious what we're talking about a lot of the time. Well, yeah, I mean, in this one, it's a, it's night and day. And this one, they're like, show me the stars and it fades to black. In Bear, you get like a literal description of an animal's penis. And in Wittershins, it's show me the stars, fade to black. And then the lights come back up and we're a whole <laughs> and, chapter. And you're watching two British dudes, 69. <laughs> The morning after a passionate exploration of body and soul, Dillinger turns on the icy shoulder, ignoring Auburn's attempts at conversation before fleeing outside. <laughs> Auburn decides to let Dillinger cool off on his own, choosing to focus on surviving the pioneer's life. Her Christmas stew preparations are interrupted as Pierre himself comes to the cabin. Pierre warns Auburn of Dillinger's dastardly ways before heading back into the forest where he belongs. <laughs> When Dillinger returns, instead of focusing on the problem of an armed man in the woods taking shots at them, he brings up the awkwardness of the night before. Apparently, when their magical kiss didn't work, Dillinger thought he would doink Auburn back to the 21st century. <laughs> what a claim. He, I'm going to make such sweet love to you, you're going to travel through time, girl. He's so confident. He's so proud of himself. And, I mean, we do get references from Auburn that he did indeed show her the stars. He absolutely doinked her good. He sent her back to the creation of the universe and the Big Bang and circled around <laughs> to the apocalypse and then back to 1860, whatever. I mean, this was the Big Bang. This was the doinkening. I mean, it's it's happened. <laughs> <laughs>
Zoe doinks her. She doesn't go back in time. And then he gets really uncomfortable about it because now he feels like he's betrayed his ex-wife. Like as if fucking this woman back in time wouldn't have done that yeah, anyway. Well, she was most likely wearing his dead wife's clothes. Like when she disrobed, it would have been out of his dead wife's dress. And I guess, oh shit, dude, that's really dark, but true. I mean, it would have been dark in the room. It was 1892. A hopped up on bread, mold, poisoned wine. Who knows what they were seeing? <laughs> Auburn takes this new rejection with a grain of salt and steals herself. Dillinger broods on his guilt and decisions while ogling Auburn up and down. Our reading ends as Dillinger fights his repressed desires and lust for Auburn in honor of the memory of his ex-wife. So literally the end of this reading, we get this like guilt. We get him being a complete asshole. At the very end, he's still like, I don't want Auburn. I don't care anymore. Just... Do it, man. Get over yourself. Like, it's been, what, two years? Like, you you are allowed to move on and have a life. Yeah, he's clearly congested with feelings. Um, He needs a spicy pepper to clear his sex sinuses out, maybe. He needs a sloppy chipotle to empty him completely out, top to toes. And uh, yes, Taco Bell, we will be taking that sponsorship. Thank you. I guess my big problem with these chapters is it, it just feels like a big reset button was hit on the story. And a, truly, it feels like she had written a book or the start of a book where a cowboy comes to the modern day and antics ensue and also had like half a book where a woman from our time travels to the Old West and then, you know, maybe got drunk over the weekend and Monday was the due date. And she's like, oh, hastily shoves the pages together and puts them in an envelope and sends it off to Harlequin. Oh, actually, Mac, I think I know what happened. Do you want, do you want to do a little role play here? I'm going to be um, an oh, editor. Yeah. Do you want to be Tina? All right, thank uh, you. Uh, sure. Come on in, Miss Leonard. Put the book pages on my desk. Where's my baby? <laughs> All right, listen. We'll talk about that after the meeting. What you got here is two time travel books. You got to understand nobody's into time travel. I can only take one of these. Shove them together, Tina, if you got it, but get out of my office. And that's how it happened. They just, the editor made her slam them together. <laughs> Forced her to uh, combine two stories that maybe should not have been combined. And uh, it really makes them so that the characters are not able to be equals in any way. There's always one who has the advantage. And um, that's one of the things, like a Wittershins, I feel like the characters each had strengths and weaknesses that complemented each other. And together they were able to progress through the narrative. In this, it's like always, well, fish out of water and then a water without the fish. And there's no moment where they're on the same page moving forward together. But maybe I hope that happens in part three. They both get amnesia, forget about each other, and go their separate ways. It's fine. That would be a fine ending. <laughs> fine. There's not, there's not much more, I think, that can really happen to tie this book up with a pretty bow. So it's, I mean, we've already regressed halfway through. Now I'm looking at, what, a double amount of book information I need in a very reduced amount of pages left. We'll, we'll see. It'll end, and at the end of it, it'll be over. It's feeling like an episode of Doctor Who where they removed the Doctor. <laughs> it's just the B-list character they slammed together. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I would love to get some clarification on some of the things in the book. We've reached out to Tina Leonard on a couple platforms. Uh, maybe she's a little ashamed of the book uh, and perhaps should be. It's not on any of her like website or bio. It doesn't really mention it. Uh, so maybe she just kind of wants to forget it. But Tina, if you're out there, uh, hop on Goodreads, answer that, answer those questions we asked. We really need to know about Pierre's sexuality and uh, just about Auburn's perfume. Uh, what kinds do they make? What do they do? And for you listeners out there, if you want to help us out uh, by contacting us, talking about Tina, getting some traction so that she notices we're reaching out to her, you can reach us uh, at grbooknook. That's on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can also email us at uh, grbooknook at gmail.com. Another good way to get a hold of us. 
Yeah, if you really like the show, hop onto iTunes, leave a review. Um, that's really important to us and to the success of the show. Uh, we don't advertise, so it's sort of like a word of mouth kind of thing. Um, and uh, if you like it, go ahead and tell your friends. Uh, hopefully, they hate romance as much as we do. Um, if they like cowboys, don't you know? Don't let them read this book. Uh, but point them to us because we can read it for you. We've got just a little bit of a programming note here at the end. Uh, we're going to be taking uh, about a week-long break here after this book is over. This is going to be the conclusion to our first season of GRBN. We uh, have some amazing plans, some great ideas coming up for season two, and we want to time that just for uh, February, the uh, season of love, you know, get it uh, prepped and primed right for uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, we'll have one more episode on The Cowboy from Christmas Past. That's going to be out on New Year's Day, so you should have no excuse not to listen. <laughs> and then after that, yeah, we'll be taking a, a short little break. There'll be some information up on the site about when we're um, coming back, but it won't be too long. I think we're just skipping one cycle. Yeah, it should be a quick, uh, quick turnaround there. The uh, next bit we're reading, uh, if you're following along, and I know some of you out there are, is uh, chapter chapters 13 through the end, which will be chapter 18. A nice little short reading where Tina is going to try her best to fit in a lot of plot. Yeah, some great music to go along with that reading is our intro and outro music, Hip Hop Christmas by Twin Musicom. Thank you, Twin. Mac, I feel like we've been dancing around it this episode, and, you know, obviously, I don't want to put this book down too much, but it doesn't feel too exciting. It doesn't feel like we have, mm. you know, a lot of zing and pep to it. So I, I had an idea. I had an idea here. Um, what if we put together some stingers, some advertisements, something we can get oh. out there? Yeah, something to kind of um, get people really invested in the season finale. Right, right, right. Just like a, a quick little stinger, something that's really going to, you know, put some pep in our step. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, you okay. Go, um, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. <clears throat> Coming up on GRBN, a murder. <laughs> Which one of the boys is going to make it through to season two? <laughs> Next week on GRBN, a new host joins the show with the boys. Special mystery host next week on GRBN. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks for listening. <laughs> this show gets the Santa seal of approval. A do be do 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 oh, next a week you've got <laughs> did you a be and do I, 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 I'm dreaming of a gentleman's book look. oh man if I don't fade out on that the show will never end and <laughs> we'll be recording for the rest of our lives <laughs>